coming up in this podcast, election promises, South Perth, mining raisings, Richard Goider and mining services. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Hi, I'm Mark Pownall. And I'm Dan Wilkie. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Dan, welcome on board this week. Mark Byer is away on holidays. But there's a bit of property news around, so it makes sense to have you in the studio today. Uh, first up, there's been a few election promises around property. Uh, what are they and how have they been received? Yeah, both Labor and Liberal um, made some pretty big announcements in the uh, property sector this week, um, but not both. they both haven't been uh, well received. The Liberal Party, they promised to provide a $15,000 concession for over 65s on stamp duty. Now, this has been long lobbied for um, by Property Council and other uh, lobby groups like the Urban Development Institute. Um, the theory is that's going to grease the wheels for seniors to downsize and give them extra options for housing, freeing up some houses to go back into the other parts of the market and boosting affordability. That's been welcomed, obviously. Um, on the other hand, Labor, they've drawn the ire of the industry. Um, they flagged a 4% tax on foreign buyers of residential property uh, to fund a, f- a freeze on TAFE fees. Now, Perth has already got a very low proportion of foreign buyers, so it's dubious as to whether that's actually going to raise a significant amount. And the property industry has questioned whether it's appropriate to curb foreign investment in a market that's already bouncing along the bottom. Mm, interesting point. Although, of course, we've seen property invest, um, foreign investment in property over the East Coast has really driven up um, prices and become an affordability and, and contributed to the affordability issue there, hasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And that, that's part of the criticism of Labor's plan from the property sector here is because there has been such a low proportion of buyers here, that hasn't really been the case. Mm. Um, it, it's less than 4% from my understanding of, of foreign buyers. So they're not really coming here. It's talked about that those East Coast markets are going to start overheating in the next 12 months. Foreign buyers are going to start to look at Perth eventually. Well, that's what's been tipped. So if put this tax on there, that just really puts us at a disadvantage. Mm. Okay. And then the Libs one, that's, so that was this really a log jam, right, in terms of they've given a grant to first homeowners to build, mm-hmm. right, but then you've got these next, uh, you know, your second or third homeowner, they need to have an incentive to move up the ranks. They need some property to come on the market. The uh, the, the the kind of the downsizers or the right sizes, as they say, they're not moving. So this is an incentive to kind of what sort of crowbar them out of their big big properties and get them into something smaller. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, really. I mean, the the presumably might be quite a few people that are sort of nearing retirement age or just gone past retirement age that have got a house that's basically too big for them. So if they can get a, a I guess a concession of $15,000, they don't have to pay the stamp duty when they purchase a house. That's going to be a fairly good motivator to get into a new dwelling. Mm. Well, we'll see. Um, now, Dan, last week we discussed Finbar's decision to withdraw its from its Civic Heart apartment project. Um, but there's a wider story in South Perth, isn't there? Yes, um, this has been a long-running saga. I'm sure that re- avid readers of business news would be well aware um, that there's been some issues down there. Now, basically... I'll rewind a few years ago, the city of South Perth, trying to build the case for the train station there. They've relaxed height limits across a low, big part of the, the suburb, get the developers in there so they can create commercial space and apartments to build the case for the train station. They got a wave of development proposals, but they were too big, apparently, and that wasn't what the city of South Perth wanted. They were envisaging buildings maxing out at about 25, 26 storeys. They got 39 and 40 at, at, at a lot of them. So that caused a bit of community consternation. They're worried about traffic. They're, they're worried about the infrastructure. 
Um, so the city of South Perth, they've gone to put it, put the height limits back. They took that to the uh, West Australian Planning Commission, who took it to Donna Farragher, who has gone and knocked them back. Now, meanwhile, um, civic uh, developers have been pursuing projects. Finbar's Civic Heart was supposed to be the flagship project. Um, you guys spoke at length last week about how they've pulled the pin on that, but they're not the only ones. Um, they're not the only ones who have been affected by this planning uncertainty. I spoke to uh, a few developers this week. One of them, Serona Capital, they've got a 39-storey proposal. Basically, they've been sitting back waiting for the last 18 months, waiting for the appropriate time to press go on marketing because they just didn't know what the lay of the land was. Uh, Another developer, Zone Q Investments, they've had issues getting their 88 Mill Point Road project approved. Um, They're basically having to look back at the plans to see if it fits in with the new guidelines. So it's a lot of frustration going on in South Perth Mm. for the developers. They thought they had certainty, then the, the, the councils come in, rip that certainty away from them, now they've been given certainty again, so hopefully it's getting towards the end of this saga and they can proceed with these projects, but with the amount of community opposition that's in the suburb, I don't think that things are going to go smoothly. Mm. Oh, fair enough. Now, Mark, last week uh, you, all, you talked about Richard Goiter stepping down as CEO of West Farmers and becoming chair of the AFL. Um, Mr Goiter's career already looks uncannily like that of his predecessor at West Farmers, Michael Cheney. Now that resemblance looks even more so after the news this week that Mr Cheney is going to step down as Woodside Chairman to be replaced by Mr Goiter later this year. So what do you think of that? Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, look, I, it, it, this is sort of a good and bad story. You know, I think I think if we look at the positive, um, you've got a, um, a, a businessman of the stature of Michael Cheney. Uh, he left West Farmers in the most, you know, it, it was an extraordinary period. Of growth and uh, and he and he was sort of you know lauded by the Australian business community and he went on to chair National Australia Bank. He went on and he chaired Woodside, which he's now stepping down at the end of the year, as you said. And he recently rejoined West Farmers as his chair as well. So you know what a great career. And sitting there in the in his you know on following in his footsteps, you've had Richard Goiter, who's also had a pretty extraordinary period as CEO of uh, West Farmers. You know perhaps. Um, with the purchase of coals, a much bigger um, period than than anything that Michael Cheney had, but uh, but also much rockier with the GFC. So it's a wonderful experience. So you kind of go, now he's going to Woodside, gee, that makes sense. And they're both local, why don't you pick the best and get the best if you can have local chairs? I guess the downside is it just looks like the pool's very small. You know, you've got, what, two guys and that's it. Um, and that is a little, I think, that sort of feeling that it looks, um, I guess, from the outside, it's not nepotism because I don't think it can be, but it does look a little bit like they're too closely aligned, you know, because right now Michael Cheney is effectively Richard Goiter's boss at West Farmers. Now he's going to go and replace uh, Michael Cheney at Woodside, and I guess they've had to think about all that stuff, but it is sort of like one of those things where, well, there's a bit of negative there, um, I think it just makes WA look a little small, but look, they're both great businessmen, and I'm sure they'll. I'm sure the market will get over it when they show their leadership skills. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. They must be great mates, those two. The way their careers are sort of running in parallel. Yeah, or maybe you know, maybe Michael Cheney has had a great career trajectory, and why wouldn't you follow that? Um, now, Dan, in the past week or so, there's been some positive activity in mining uh, with some reasonable sums raised. What's the overall picture there? Uh, well, gold miners. Uh, 
going back to the market en masse, um, you, you might say. Uh, Dacian Gold, this week, they've gone back to the market to raise $110 million. Um, that's to fund development at its Mount Morgan's mine to get that to production. Now, they did go to the market in December to raise $100 million. That was unsuccessful, so they've cut the price of the raising by 75 cents a share, down to 2 bucks a share. So that might show that there's some, there still is some difficulty, despite the, the gold bulls being up and about at the moment. Um, but also going to market this week, Beetle Resources, they raised $51 million for plant upgrades at, its, at their gold mine in Brazil. And uh, last week, Gascoigne Resources tapped the market for $55 million. So gold miners showing a bit of confidence um, that investors are willing to back them um, and raising some decent funds. Now, a bit of other news around mining this week. Um, there was a bit of a mixed bag in results. There was some significant losses for Monodelphus and Iluca Resources. But on the other side, uh, iron ore miners have done pretty well on the surging spot price. Atlas, who has been in the wars for a while, they've returned a profit. Um, FMG back to lodging billion-dollar half-year net profits. And BHP also experienced a big rise in half-year profit to about $3.2 billion. So iron ore, which was just not that long ago, that was the doom and gloom of the dark clouds of the WA economy. It appears to be emerging to be a strength again. So uh, given that activity in mining, it's probably fitting that our weekly feature is mining services. So Mark, what has Matt McKenzie looked at there? Yeah, look, uh, great feature. Um, And I guess, you know, you've heard a bit of it there, iron ore is back. And so therefore, from a contracting point of view, that's a good story. Um, You know, uh, iron ore is obviously a bigger industry than gold. So lots and lots of opportunity there. It hasn't, we haven't seen a lot of it yet for the contractors, but their share prices have revived um, as they have started to win a little bit of business. And they've certainly, um, you know, it's an optimistic view. Um, I guess the story there isn't just about the rise um, in in the iron ore price, although obviously that's a catalyst to some of the opportunities. But really what's happened is with iron ore being in the doldrums and and other um, commodity prices, lots of work has been left undone for two years. So first of all, there's kind of a lot of maintenance and all those kind of contracts that that now are are desperately needed. Um, Similarly, uh, a lot of uh, mining uh, miners have been you know working down their stockpiles and really trying to get the best value out of the existing mine sites in this period of uh, low prices now that prices have come back they can afford to go and do some replacement um, you know brownfields development expand their mines and that sort of thing so again really good news for contractors and look just looking at our BNIQ data as Matt has done you know, over five years, our total shareholder return, most of those contractors, most of the mining service companies are still underwater. They still haven't, you know, over five years, they, you know, they're, back, they're behind where they were. But a lot of them have had a terrific year. So if you have sort of stuck some money into some of them a year ago on the hope that things would go well, so there's been some really good ones there. So um, pretty, uh, pretty good feature. I, uh, I commend that to readers to go and have a look. And look, um, I guess just a little bit of very early news. Look out for our next event. Um, I can't give you much detail, but we have a panel of senior global players from the tech sector um, coming up uh, in the next few weeks. They're all here as part of the once-off Worldwide Web Conference. And uh, as soon as we can, we'll get you some details um, either online or in this podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Bayer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts 
And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud. <laughs>